inequality takes very strange forms. But then I realized how structural inequality was, how much it was embedded into the way we operate as a, as a nation, as a people. You know, oopsie, you know, it's not an accident. There's, it's not an accident that we have poverty in the world any more than it's an accident that we have seven white men who control, you know, 80% of the world's resources. Um, it's not an accident. It's the way the system is designed. Meet Shankar Venkateswaran and Molly Harris Olsen. Shankar is the chair of Oxfam India, and he's also part of eCube's investment advisors founding team. He advises companies and NGOs on matters related to corporate sustainability and sustainable development. Molly, who is the CEO of Fairtrade Australia New Zealand, is also a member of DRI's supervisory board. Both of them clearly highlight some of the key elements of inequality, as well as structural issues embedded in the way we operate at all levels of society. After all, poverty does not happen by accident. We are now in the decade of action, and here we'll talk with companies and experts from all over the world about how they're taking actions on the STDs. To learn from each other about the challenges, opportunities and solutions on the road towards 2030. From the GRI, this is The Rising Tide. Episode on STD 10, Reduced Inequalities. Uh, you know, on the basis of caste and on the basis of ethnicity, there is inequality. So when I was in school, I never felt any form of discrimination. But when I went to college, then I suddenly found that there were some groups who were from these ethnic uh, disadvantaged groups. You know, these are people who have been traditionally discriminated against for centuries. So the challenge with being privileged is because you're not ever discriminated against. You don't understand discrimination because you're never subjected to discrimination. But just there, there is someone who doesn't have any of that. So you get that very young in a, in a place like in India because you have so much of poverty, you can't escape. So uh, the other thing I remember being very conscious of is in India, we have so many languages. And I come from the southern part of the country and we have a language which we use in the southern part, which is called Tamil, which is one of the oldest languages in the world. But the majority of Indians speak a language called Hindi. Now, for the longest time, there was an attempt to make Hindi the national language. That was another form of differentiation. You were being discriminated on the basis of language. Why was one language chosen to be the national language? What happens to your language? And you felt marginalized. Then when I went on to do an MBA, we had a very interesting professor of macroeconomics. He, he very famously told us in a class that it's not the size of the cake that is important, but how you cut the cake. And so it, how is the cake cut and who makes the rules on how you cut the cake is what causes inequality. That what happens in, in real life is that people who are powerful, who have the privilege, they are the ones who make the rules in how to cut that cake. And they will always cut a very large slice of the cake for themselves and leave very, very little for the others. And it seems that inequalities tend to occur in our institutions. Now, when you take that inequality into institutions, then it plays out in a very different way. So if you look at a company, now by companies inherently uh, have structures and has, have hierarchies. 
and those hierarchies result in increasing inequality. Now, when you take that inequality and you take the inequality that lies in society, then the inequality becomes more complicated than before. So I think what these institutions do is they exaggerate the inequalities that already exist uh, in society. And I think to me, that's the, that's the thread that is very, very interesting about inequality. Uh, that you would expect that institutions will reduce inequality, but they actually increase it because they are, they are made into hierarchies, which are inherently discriminating. Uh, and that's the, that's the tragedy of inequality. It's not at one place. It just builds and builds on each other and builds on each other and just gets worse and worse over time. It's not a one-time thing that you can do away with. It just, just keeps multiplying. And that's the tragedy of inequality. In order to address these inequalities, you need to want to change the way things are. It requires awareness and action. I think the starting point, there has to be a, a belief that you want to change it. And one of the first things, for example, is what happens in supply chains. So how can companies, what can companies do to address human rights issues in their supply chains? There is a lot that companies can do in communities through what we call in India CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility or community investments. So what kind of work can you do in communities in terms of uh, employment opportunities, skilling opportunities, because that's your first step into them becoming independent as they grow up and look after themselves. In fact, in, in the Tata group where I used to work, we had an affirmative action program, uh, which we used to call the four E's. So employment, employability. The third E was education. The fourth E was entrepreneurship. How can we help people from underprivileged communities set up their own enterprises? And how can we start buying from them in our companies so that we not only they set up an enterprise, but we also provide them with a market. Fair trade, for instance, illustrate what bringing change to the supply chain might look like. So there's modern slavery, there's every form of exploitation and abuse in those supply chains. So what fair trade does is we engineer for different outcomes. We do that through the standard. And those standards then are supported by other structures engineered for fair. So there's a minimum price. So if you think of the coffee price, it goes up and down and up and down. Many, it, for the better part of the last five years, the coffee price has been below the cost of production, which means um, some of the poorest people in the world are actually subsidizing our $5 coffee every day. They get about seven cents out of that cup of coffee uh, presently, which is just unbelievably unfair. So that's a minimum price to protect them for their, for their basic cost of production. And then there's a premium that goes on top of the commodity price. So if the commodity price is above the minimum price, then of course they get the higher price. That's just the market price. Often it's not. The premium is on top of the price, whether it's a commodity price or the minimum price. It's on top of that and it's about 10 to 15%. And that is to be spent by the cooperative for the whole community. And to give you an example, recently, um, Fairtrade Australia and New Zealand uh, supported East Timor through a World Trade Organization grant to get fair access to uh, markets in East Timor. And in the first reporting period, we were able to help them sell eight container loads of coffee, which is a huge amount of coffee. 
We were able to create three new markets for them in Japan, Canada, and the United States. They had never sold coffee in those markets. And the premium monies was $68,000 for those two cooperatives to spend on schools or water, potable water or hospitals or roads or whatever it is they needed. They get to decide and all fair trade does is is be the vehicle to ensure they get that money in the first place, which increases equality. And then we audit them to make sure that they have democratically decided with the whole cooperative how to spend the money and that they have actually spent the money on what they said they would spend the money on. That's what Fairtrade does. It helps to build their strengths and democracy. It helps them understand why transparency and accountability is important. And then it helps them benefit by having those resources to invest in their communities. Trade, of course, is one of the biggest problems and one of the most unfair things that people who don't have power in value chains actually uh, are subjected to. So, so getting trade to be fair would change everything. Food for thought here. Getting trade to be fair would change everything, would it not? Companies are using societal resources for goods and services, which means they are accountable to society. Transparency and a systems approach are key. Uh, because our, our logic very simply was that companies are using resources that belong to everyone, okay, to produce the goods and services. So if they're using, uh, uh, you know, they're, if they're using public resources, they need to be accountable to the public. Uh, it's not like a financial statement, but you are not only using financial resources, you're using natural resources, you're using human resources. Those are not yours. Those are public. Those belong to society. So you have to uh, be you have to uh, be accountable to society. We were just saying, look, you need to be more transparent. That's all we were saying. And what struck me immediately about the standards that underpin fair trade and the whole way fair trade is actually engineered to create fair outcomes was that the standards have the, the full gamut of people, planet and prosperity standards sitting underneath them. And the mechanisms they use for transparency and for accountability across global value chains, I have never seen anything like it. And so that really impressed me as being, um, um, you know, the kind of systemic approach that we needed to take in order to solve these problems of unsustainability. The TRI standards are a great tool to help bring accountability and transparency to the table and shine the light on what is happening behind the scenes in the supply chains. And these two elements have the power to bring transformative change for SDG 10. Initially, uh, it was the set of guiding principles and then guidelines. And actually over its now 20 year history, um, it has slowly evolved to be much more of a standards-based organization. And now the GRI provides a really comprehensive um, approach for corporate social responsibility reporting. There are real guide, um, very, very significant measurable ways that we create disclosures. One of the most exciting and most important ones, I think, is the tax disclosures, because um, one of the the realities of the world is that we don't have enough money to help support 
equality out there. And the tax disclosure standard that has been established by GRI is one of the quickest and easiest ways for us as a global community to help each other to ensure that we are creating a sustainable world. Because every government, every UN agency, I mean, the, glo the, the G7 and the G20 have been talking about trying to create transparency and accountability in tax for decades. And so far, it has not happened still to this day. And so I guess for equality, if I was to say one thing, it would be that all companies around the world are paying their fair share of tax and exposing for independent review total transparency in their value chains. So if they have modern slavery and most value chains do, they can expose it and then fix it. If they have problems with um, environmental water, other sorts of, of impacts on the planet, they can expose it and we can fix it. So paying their, their fair share of tax and actually being willing to, to create transparent supply chains and with partners like Fairtrade is, is fair enough. It's hard for a company to do this. Um, but those two things will really be transformative for uh, SDG 10, reducing equality, but it will also support every other SDG goal that we need to achieve together. All companies paying their fair share of tax and who are willing to expose issues in the value chain for independent review could be serious drivers for achieving SDG 10 and the SDGs overall. It is, of course, not easy, but organizations like Fairtrade are out there to support this important work. Fairtrade has a very simple approach to this. We, we create opportunities for people to get fair prices. So the terms of trade that a producer can get with Fairtrade are the best terms of trade in the world. They get the minimum price, which protects them. They get the premium, which they invest in their community, and, and they can't get any better. We don't judge their society. We don't try to, to change that. All we say is, if you want to access this premium income and this market, there are things you must do. And actually, in every aspect of those value chains, whether it's a trader or a producer or, or a company, in fact, they will be removed from the fair trade system if they fail to meet the standards. And the standards are audited independently. So if they're not treating women fairly, if they're not um, specifically providing um, support to disability members of their community, if they're, um, if they're controlling things in a way that clearly are excluding women, for instance, from decision-making, then they can be suspended from and removed from the fair trade system. But it does take time. Um, you know, we've had cooperatives where, uh, you know, they've tried to resist having women involved. Um, and over time, it's amazing how, um, you know, with a calm and very clear process of why it's important and, and the benefits. I mean, to me, the biggest thing is that it's over 300 million dollars, euros, excuse me, 300 million euros every year the producers get in that premium. That is worth reconsidering how we think about the caste system. That is worth reconsidering, gee, maybe it's not so bad having women part of our decision-making um, process. Maybe it's, maybe it's not so bad not being discriminatory against other members, you know, help, helping, helping them. It's like a, it's like a giant incentive and carrot to ultimately get to the place where you understand why equality and why these issues are important. 
what we've learned over many decades is that actually the very best way to address some of these critical sustainable development issues like population is actually to educate women and girls and empower them in their communities. And it is transformative what happens in terms of number of children, in terms of, of their engagement in the community, it matters. Everybody wants their kids to be educated, but it's the last opportunity. They don't have the opportunity. They don't have the resources. I mean, even in, in, in fair trade cooperatives, sometimes they will spend their premium money on books for kids because their communities just don't have access to, to books or to, to the pencils and the, you know, the resources that um, communities need. So it's, it's, it, is, um, it is a critical opportunity to, to help communities have access to education for their kids. And it's one of the primary things that fair trade does. Offering opportunities and resources needed for societies to be able to educate and empower children and women is another key element of reducing inequality. And in the end, we all want the same thing. The reality is the SDGs are our chance to achieve the future we all want to see. All of us can be the drivers of positive change. Our experiences were similar, which is, which is nice. Uh, we come from very different countries and, you know, opposite sides of the world, but still there are so many similarities. So anytime you want to talk about how how we can redesign the world for a more sustainable and and um, and wonderful life, actually, I, I really do believe that at the end of the day, everybody wants the same thing. They want peace. They want the opportunity to contribute to the world and have a meaningful family and community life. And they want an environment that is healthy and, and protected. And, you know, we all want the same thing. So um, the sooner we can work together, and this is a wonderful, the first ever in the world, really, framework that is quite comprehensive to help us solve these problems. If we can all work together towards the sustainable development goals everywhere, wherever we are, then it's our best chance of actually achieving um, a, a sustainable world. We want to thank Shankar Venkateswaran and Molly Harris Olson for sharing their time and expertise. The Rising Tide podcast is co-produced by the GRI and Naranha Media. We also want to thank the Swedish government for making this podcast series possible. We greatly appreciate their long-standing support for sustainable development work, catalyzing actions towards the SDGs. My name is Tina Nybo Jensen. Thank you for listening.